the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ephesians. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now it's based on how God loves us, not how much we love ourselves. Self-love is, is a very inferior love, which most people are stuck on. But the love of God is the supreme and superior love. And the Bible directs us, now I want you to love other people like God loves you. So live a life of love, just as Christ loved us. Romantic love is a preoccupation for most of humanity. From a young age, the majority of us start to notice the opposite gender and begin to imagine and long to fall in love. God designed us with that desire for the deep intimacy that He built into the marriage relationship. It's a natural and wonderful thing, but there's a greater form of love that's essential to our joy and fulfillment. As Pastor Gary will explain in today's message, we need the sacrificial love of God to fill us and transform our hearts. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. We're here at Ephesians chapter 5. The book of Ephesians, again, neatly divided into two sections. The first half of the book, chapters 1, 2, and 3, are all about what God has done for us. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 now are how we are to live our lives in response to what God has done for us. And Paul refers to this as the new life. And he's going to talk about the characteristics of one who's living a new life in Christ in the remainder of this uh, letter to the church of Ephesus between chapters 4, 5, and 6. And so starting at verse 17 of chapter 4 through verse 9 of chapter 6, he's going to cover these topics, attitudes and thoughts, speech and words, temper, work ethic, treatment of others, our sexuality, the use of alcohol, and various roles in the home and in the workplace. Now, we made our way through uh, much of this or through some of it, and so just by way of some quick review to bring us up to speed, we looked at 10 various characteristics of the new life that Paul talks about here at the end of chapter 4. Uh, number one, the new life has to be learned. He mentions there in verses 21 and 22 that you were taught these things, and so the Christian life has to be learned. You may, you may not necessarily just understand this on your own, aside from how God will 
you know, providentially uh, help you and give you understanding. Uh, but much of the Christian life is learned. It is about being discipled in your faith. It is about growing in your faith and learning. And number two, we talked about how the new life has to break ties with the old life. He mentions there in chapter 4, 22, that you were taught with regard to your former way of life, notice, past, to put off your old self, and um, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your mind. So there has to be this clean break from the old life to the new life. It's not, ju- it's not that we become a Christian, we just fold Jesus on top of everything else we have been doing up to that point. We have to stop 180 degrees, repent, go the different direction, and now we're crucifying the flesh, we're dying to self, we're living for the glory of God, and we break ties with the old life. Number three, the new life begins with a renewed mind, new attitudes, new thoughts. That's what he says there also in verse 23 about being made new in the attitude of your minds. Number four, the new life lives like God in righteousness and holiness. Uh, That's verse 24. Number five, the new life is about new speech. We talked about that. God help us to guard our tongue. He, He goes on for a while in verse 25, talking about, therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. Again in verse 29, He kind of doubles down on speech. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. So we mentioned last week, it's not only what you are not to say. It is how we are to speak properly to one another, building each other up. And then number six, the new life does not let anger become sin. He talks about there in verse 26 about... um, not uh, letting the sun go down on your anger. Uh, He says, in your anger, do not sin. We mentioned that not all anger is sin, but we have to be careful that it doesn't become sin. Now, number seven, the new life is careful not to give Satan any opportunities. We talked about this also last week, not to give the enemy a foothold. It's the Greek word topos. We get our English word topography. Don't give him any ground. Don't open any doors by what we might do in a compromised life to give Satan opportunity. Number eight, the new life works hard and gives to others instead of taking from others. He talks there in verse 28 about having a strong work ethic. And Christians among all people should have a strong work ethic and should value a hard day's work. And we should be generous. We shouldn't be stealing or taking from others. A hard work then produces generosity. And number nine, the new life does not do things that would grieve the spirit of God. He mentions in verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, which again we mention is a proof text that the Holy Spirit is a being, not uh, an impersonal, just ghost-like creature that he actually can be grieved. The Holy Spirit experiences emotions. And then finally last week we looked at number 10. And that is that the new life replaces bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander with kindness, compassion, and forgiveness towards others. And it's not just, you know, forgiving as we feel like it. He adds there at the end of the chapter, the last words of chapter 4, forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. You ever heard the expression, I forgive you, but I won't forget? That, that's not a biblical response. If you are really a Christian and you forgive someone, sure, we as human beings have the capacity to remember, but the idea is don't keep drudging up the past. You have to let it go 
As you forgive, you forgive as Christ has forgiven you. So stop and consider in the wonderful ways and for the terrible things that God has forgiven you. And now the directive is the new life in Christ is a man or a woman who practices that same kind of forgiveness. And so we forgive. We give people over to God. We let God deal with them and we release them so that we are not then bound by bitterness. That's what unforgiveness leads to. It leads to a root of bitterness that is very destructive. And we become, you know, people who are like a poisonous well and no one wants to drink of our well. And we all of a sudden wonder, why don't people want to hang around us? And why don't people like to be our friends? Well, because maybe you're bitter and you don't realize it. And that's the result of often unforgiveness. So that's where we left off last week. So we're going to continue on our list uh, as we look here into chapter 5. He says in verse 1, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So in our continuing list here, it's number 11. He says the new life imitates God with a life of love. Uh, that word imitate or be imitators there in verse 1 is the Greek word mimetes. We get our English word mimic. And he's calling us to mimic God. So study God and understand his character, his attributes, his qualities, and do your best to imitate him. And in particular, Paul says, of all the many wonderful attributes of our Lord, he wants us to imitate a life of love. That God is certainly a God of love. God is love. It's not just descriptive. It is his very character and nature. And he calls us to live a life of love. And look again what he says there in verse 2. Just as Christ loved us. In a similar way that he ended chapter 4 by saying, I want you to forgive like Christ has forgiven you. Now he says, I want you to love like Christ has loved you. Like, wow. Talk about raising the bar. You know, do you ever want to just love somebody when it's convenient? Like you get up out of the wrong side of the bed and, you know, the Levitical law says, love your neighbor as yourself. Under the old law, under the old covenant, that was a very convenient love system, wasn't it? Because if you're to love your neighbor as yourself and you don't really like yourself today, you don't have to love anybody else. (laughs) But Jesus elevates it. He says in John's gospel, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now it's based on how God loves us, not how much we love ourselves. Self-love is is a very inferior love, which most people are stuck on. But the love of God is the supreme and superior love. And the Bible directs us, now I want you to love other people like God loves you. So live a life of love, just as Christ loved us. And gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So our love should be sacrificial. Our love should be unconditional. Think of the many ways that God has loved us. And then he calls us to that kind of love. Imitate God and live a life of love. In verse 3, he says, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, And we'll pause there because then he makes another list. But he begins this list by talking about sexual immorality. And he says, I I don't want there to even be a hint of it. Number 12 on our list is the new life is a sexually pure life. 
The new life is a sexually pure life. Now, um, this is an important point um, because God has created all of us as sexual beings. And um, sex is intended to be a wonderful thing, that God has gifted a husband and a wife in the context of marriage. Unfortunately, it has become polluted. It has become denigrated. It has become uh, something that is devalued. It has become cheapened in our world. And now there's so much confusion about sexuality in our world. I mean, there are labels now and there are uh, words now that didn't even used to exist in the English vocabulary just like, you know, a few years ago. Somebody, I forget who was talking to me, they, they had a, a form to fill out and um, there were actually 26 different designations of sexuality that they had to check which one they were. I'm like, I, I can't even come up with 26 different terms. But now there are all these kind of terms that... It's like, doesn't even make sense. I heard Miley Cyrus gave an interview, to, an interview a while ago, and she identifies herself as pansexual. Pansexual? I don't even know what that means. It's just a new word in the English language, I suppose. I don't know if she made it up. I don't know what pansexual means. It's all going to pan out. I don't know. I don't even know. She, she has a, 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 an attraction, I guess, to, to kitchen cookware. I don't know what that means. I'm pansexual. What does that even mean? So obviously, because we're all made as sexual beings, this is an important thing that the Bible speaks of often in, the, in, in Scripture. You know, it's interesting, uh, back in the book of Acts, you don't need to turn there, but when Gentiles were first coming to faith in Christ, initially, the early church was entirely made up of Jews who were believers in Yeshua, in Jesus as Messiah. It's not until you get to Acts chapter 10, you see Gentiles coming to faith in Christ, and for the early church, among some of the Jews, they were a little skeptical, like, is this supposed to work for the Gentiles too? We're not really sure. Are Gentiles supposed to come into faith in Christ? So the council of Jerusalem got together in Acts chapter 15, and they considered this matter. Is it okay for Gentiles to come to faith in Christ? And the council of Jerusalem, made up of the, those who were the original apostles who, who were still living uh, in first century, who were followers of Christ, the original group of the apostles, they got together, and uh, plus James, the half-brother of, of Jesus, and they decided, you know what, we need, to give, we need to give some directives to these Gentile believers, because now the Gentiles come into faith, and they're presented with the, the Jewish law, and, and they're like, where do we begin with this? And so the council of Jerusalem said, we're going to just narrow it down to a few important items. And they sent out a letter to those who were early believers among the Gentile communities in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. And this is what the letter says. It's from Acts 15, verses 24 to 29. They say, they say we have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas, and this is a different Judas, and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit to us, and, and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to pare down all these commandments to just a few. And this is what they said. You are to abstain from food sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, 
and from sexual immorality, you will do well to avoid these things. That's the end of their letter. So they talk about three dietary things and one moral matter. And the one moral matter that they focused on was, was not like, hey, it's probably good not to kill people. Or, hey, probably good not to lie to people. Or, hey, probably good. The one thing they focus on is don't commit sexual sin. Don't commit sexual sin. Now, again, because we're living in a culture these days that have really blurred the lines of sexuality and what is acceptable and what isn't and what is right and what is wrong. And it seems like we're in a day, sadly, where it's almost like anything and everything goes. Let me just give you the biblical definition in a sentence, okay? When the Bible speaks about sexual sin, what exactly is sexual sin? Okay, here it is in a sentence. It's any sexual behavior or expression outside of a marriage between a man and a woman. That's it. Now, I I know that that cuts against the grain of what is popularly believed in our world. I know that. I I, I know that when I start talking about these things that the Bible speaks of, that some people bristle and and they're like, well, we're going to send this guy an email and tell him, you know, you're just antiquated. You believe a bunch of old rules and, you know, that might be fine for you, but that's, that's not the way it works today. You know, like, like, I don't understand how it works. I mean, people have to feel like they educate me. Like, how did you even get three kids? You know, I, I just, okay, I understand the whole thing. All right. But what I'm telling you is, irrespective of what the world says, God has a precious gift. And the way that we enjoy his most precious gift in terms of a marriage between a husband and a wife, between a man and a woman, is that sexual expression of oneness that he has gifted to us. And that when we violate the way that he says is best to be unwrapped, this gift We don't enjoy it to its fullest potential. So God wants his best for us. And when we violate his best, then we do a disservice to ourselves. We're robbing ourselves. We're cheating ourselves. So I I don't say this to put any of you on a guilt trip who have violated. You're like, well, that's a pretty clear definition. And now I've kind of, I realize I violated that. The purpose is not to like shame you. The purpose is to inform you and that going forward, we should all be mindful of the basic definition of sexual purity and the way the Bible defines it and live our lives in such a way that as Christians, okay, this does not apply to people who who don't have faith in Christ. This won't preach on the street. I'm talking to those of us who put our faith and trust in Christ. Once we put our faith and trust in Christ, the Bible teaches there's a way to live. There's the old way and there's the new way. And the new way is God's way. And God's way is, when it comes to sexuality, the only proper biblical way to enjoy God's gift of sex is within the context of a marriage between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman. Okay, that's it. So anything outside of that. Now, this leads to the next question, which I often get. Well, then, what exactly, when you say any sexual behavior... Outside of marriage, what constitutes sexual behavior? All right. So that's a little fuzzy too, right? Because we had a president one time who was just like, you know, I did not commit sexual. It all depends on what is, is. Remember that? 
And so a bunch of people are like, I don't, I don't even know then. What is sexual expression after all? Okay, so mark it down for you note takers. I'm going to help you right here. This was helpful to me when I learned it years ago. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Now, here's what it says in the NIV, and it's troubling in the NIV translation. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 says, it is good for a man not to marry a woman. What? <laughs> now, King James says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. ESV says, it is good for a man not to commit sexual immorality with a woman. So what exactly does that mean? So in your Bibles, in the New Testament, the original language was written in Greek. And so when it says it is good for a man not to marry, that phrase not to marry, NIV, King James, not to touch, uh, ESV, not to have sexual relations, it is the Greek word haptomei, haptomei, H-A-P-T, hapto, O-M-A-I, haptomei. It is from a root word in the Greek, hapto, which means to kindle a fire. It is good for a man not to kindle a fire, is what it literally means in the original language. So what does that mean? Well, think about it in terms of arousal. It is good for a man not to get to the place outside of marriage where there is sexual arousal. So sometimes when people say to me, where's that line? You know, I'm dating my girlfriend or my boyfriend, and where's that line? Here's the biblical, literal definition. The physical boundary is the point of arousal. Because once there is physical arousal, you got to stop. You got to stop. Because if you want to really live a pure life before God and you want to honor him in that relationship and you want to honor him in your own body, then the arousal, the kindling of a fire, the lighting of a fire, is the point where that is the alarm that this is the boundary and no further. Okay, and this is all as a matter of, hey, I just, I want to honor God. I want to honor God in, in marriage, or if you're not married, I want to honor God outside of marriage. I want to honor God with my body. This is all about honoring him and recognizing his standard for us. And, you know, look, I know for some of you, you're like, wow, you know, are you serious? But again, it's, it's like, this is what God says for us because he wants us to enjoy his best in its proper place, at its proper time. Okay, and when we ignite the passions early, we, we rob ourselves of God's very best for us. So he says here, there must not be even a hint, a hint of it. New King James and ESV says, let it not even be named among you that there is any kind of sexual immorality. So the new life is a sexually pure life. Next we see here also in this passage, he goes on to make a list. He says, or, this is the rest of verse 3, or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. So number 13 on our list is the new life replaces impurity, greed, obscenity, foolish talk, and coarse joking with thanksgiving. Uh, Because he goes on there to talk about in, in, in contrast. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking where you're out of place, uh, but rather thanksgiving. So replace impure 
thoughts, motives, greed. And then he goes back to the speech with obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, replace it with thanksgiving. May we be thankful in what we say. Again, you know, look, James 3.8 says that the tongue is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. You've been listening to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Thanks for joining us as we learn from the book of Ephesians. It's no secret that humans are imperfect. In many of his letters, Paul addresses how imperfect people can cause disunity. It's easy to look at all the ways we are different and forget to see all the ways in which we are the same. All of us are loved by God, and all of us have been saved by grace. Let that motivate you to look at those around you differently and seek unity. Always, if you'd like to hear this message again, feel free to visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc, or download our mobile app and have these teachings with you on the go. That way, you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies, and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app under the Teachings tab on our website. While you're there, you can also learn more about Cornerstone Chapel, the church behind this ministry. If you're in the area, we'd love to connect with you. Find service times, directions, and more on our website. That's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We look forward to you joining us again next time, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling Listen, truth opens up your eyes General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.